had some girls at Awana were flipping their hair. You know, they were, uh, they were these young girls. They had this nice, long, flowing black hair. And they're in the, in the room were doing games. And they're flipping their hair back up like that, you know, and getting it out of their eyes. And so I looked down at one of them and I went like that and flipped my hair back. And she just started laughing. She thought that was the most hilarious thing she'd ever seen. So I thought it was, I thought it was funny myself. But anyhow... Uh, a couple of announcements on the 30th. Next Sunday is Food Pantry Sunday, so if you would bring your collections for the food pantry. We have a, a bunch of people in our, our congregation who are struggling with sickness and illness and that sort of stuff, so just please keep them in your prayers. Karen McFadden is trying to get placed into a rehab center. She's recovering well from her surgery, but continue to pray for her if you would. We also have uh, Marge, uh, Marge uh, Madsen has been diagnosed with COVID, and so she's not feeling well, or she's, and she's at home. We have some other people that are dealing with it. Vern and, um, and uh, Vern's daughter, Rachel, I think, is doing better, so she's recovering. Uh, Larry and Liz are staying home because they were exposed. Uh, I don't know. I probably missed somebody, but please take note of the people in the bulletin. Be praying for them. Oh, Rich Miller. Rich Miller is homesick too, so continue to pray for them. We have other people that are, have other needs, so just continue to remember them in prayer. There is a, a bachelor breakfast for Ryan on February 5th here at the church. So all the, all the guys are invited. Sorry, gals. You know, you guys do your shower thing. We do our breakfast thing. So we're, we're doing a breakfast for Ryan. Uh, come ready to share uh, pearls of wisdom. If you, if you have any, for Ryan, he'll be here with his notebook, uh, ready, to, ready to write everything down. And so we're excited about that, congratulating them on their, on their recent marriage and excited for that. Let's, let's pray because I need to kind of rearrange my brain after uh, the, the microphone incident. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we serve a great and awesome God. And for the privilege of gathering to worship you this morning, I thank you for each one who's joining us here in person and those who are with us online. We just pray, I pray, uh, for those who are hurting. I pray for Mark Bristow and his family as they uh, are dealing with his mom's ill health and uh, just the challenges of life there. We pray for those who are struggling with sickness, not just COVID, with colds, with flu and everything. We pray for Marge and for Rich and for the placement of Karen McFadden and also for her recovery and healing. We pray for uh, the Rachel that you would bring healing and strength to her. And Father, we pray right now that you'd open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, that you would speak to us from your glorious word that it would transform our lives and change us into the people you want us to be for your glory and for the gain of your kingdom we pray in Jesus name amen we had family coming in for Thanksgiving this past Thanksgiving and this particular branch of our family is notorious for just kind of like flying by the seat of their pants they just kind of go by whatever happens and stuff and so we're expecting them to arrive and we got a phone call and they were on their way which meant that they were going to be arriving at our house about 12 hours earlier than we had anticipated now those people who know my wife and I uh, well that's not like we're ready for them like so we went into like full panic mode 
because we were absolutely not ready for family to come and we had several coming in and they were staying for the the week of thanksgiving and that and so we we were we just weren't ready and i say that because the passages that we're in this today and if we've been looking at matthew chapter chapters 24 and 25 in matthew chapters 24 and 25 the, the rejected king is presented to us as the returning king okay and the description that we read of Jesus' return in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31, gives way to a a discussion about when he's going to come back. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 51, and a challenge to be ready for that return. And so we weren't ready for them to come. The point is we want to be ready for Jesus, whether we're ready for him to return to rapture his church or whether if by some thing that we are happen or those who are alive at the time he comes to consummate the kingdom, they need to be ready. So we need to be ready for, for Christ to come back. We looked last week at this passage in Matthew 24, verses uh, 32 through 51, and we saw that there was this foolish slave. And this foolish slave's problem was that, that he had had overestimated, or actually he'd underestimated, he'd underestimated the, uh, he'd overestimated the length of the time before Jesus would come back. So he was thinking, oh, he's not going to come back for a long time, so he was doing stupid stuff. Well, in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, the passage we're going to look at this morning, we see just the opposite, that the, the, the foolish uh, bridesmaids, the foolish virgins, they're they're, uh, they're underestimating the time of his delay. In other words, they, they weren't ready for a long delay for him to come back. And so neither one of those postures is good because we don't know when he's coming back. And so you don't want to underestimate. You don't want to overestimate. You just want to be ready. Uh, we just want to be ready. And the parable in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, reiterates, you don't know the day or the hour, if if we looked at verse 13, of Jesus' return, that requires that we should live ready because he could return today, the rapture, could return in a long time. We don't know the, the consummation. So if preparedness, you know, say, well, okay, living ready part two, right? So, well, we just went over this living ready part one last week. If it wasn't important, if Jesus didn't feel like we should spend some time on it, I don't think he would have repeated it, Uh, but he did. And so here we are, and this morning we're going to look at three tactics that Jesus employs in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, to convince those who profess faith in Christ, but really don't possess faith in Christ, to repent and truly believe. And those who possess faith in Christ to live ready in light of his certain, sudden, and unexpected or unpredictable return. And so that's where we're at. I'm going to read the text, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, invite you to join along with me if you would. And you have your device or you reach under the seat in front of you, there is a Bible, or you have your Bible with you, that's good. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. I say ten virgins, ten bridesmaids, okay, same deal. They're just unmarried women who uh, are there to attend the bride, 
okay? Verse 2, and five of them were foolish and five were prudent. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins, all those bridesmaids rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins, the other bridesmaids, also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And the first of these tactics that Jesus employs is, first of all, he gives us a comparison. You know, we, we find the comparison between the kingdom to, the, to these ten virgins, these ten bridesmaids. And there are three considerations. First of all, he lays out for us the analogy of the kingdom with the activity of these bridesmaids, okay, of, the, of these virgins. Then, first word in verse 1, then refers to when Christ returns, okay? Then, he says, uh, the kingdom of heaven, which is the final reign of Christ over his people, the, the cons consummation of the kingdom. When that, at that point, that, that thing can be compared to these, the activity of these ten virgins, who, bridesmaids, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So in a typical Jewish wedding, the, the bridesmaids would be attending to the bride at her home, waiting for the groom and his party, his friends, to come to her home to take her, and that all of them would parade through the town, and this typically would happen at night, thus the need for the lamps, because the wedding would be at night, and they would make their way to the groom's home where the wedding feast would take place. Okay, so that's kind of the, the setting for all that's, that's about to take place. You know, so like for us, modern weddings, not every wedding, but a lot of weddings, you know, we see that the, the, the bridal party, I don't know this big thing now, is they, they all have to get in a, a limo or a, a bus or something, you know, and they drive around and then they come to the reception hall where the reception, the wedding feast is, right? You know, and the rest of us are sitting there eating nuts and mints while we're waiting for the, uh, the bridal party to, to get there, you know. Uh, so that was the deal. So they had to have their lamps trimmed and ready to go. The bridegroom in the parable represents Jesus, represents Christ, who is about to be crucified and will be raised from the dead. And then, as we have talked about in the book of Matthew, he's coming back again. Okay, to receive his bride, the church, and to gather them into to the place of the marriage supper of the Lamb, which John talks about in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. He says, Then he said to me, well, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said, These are the true words of God. So the ten bridesmaids represent the visible uh, church of, of Jesus Christ on planet earth at the time when the bridegroom returns. Those include both the professing Christians and those who are truly possessing faith in Christ. 
Because in the visible church, you know, it's the, it's the wheat and the tares, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 13, you have the wheat and the tares growing up together. There's some who are truly genuine believers and some who aren't. But they're all part of the, what is called the, the visible church, what you see in the body of Christ. Waiting for Christ to come to consummate his kingdom. And Jesus calls this body to be on the alert in verse 15. So that's the, that's the, the activity. Now we look at the identity of, of these bridesmaids. Okay? The identity of these virgins. And there's two groups. Makes it easy. The foolish virgins, the foolish bridesmaids, took no oil in their lamps. Now I'm not going to get into all the lamps. They're probably actually torches. You know? They probably weren't really lamps. They were probably torches. They needed extra oil to dip their cloth in to wrap around so they had their torches around. They weren't like lanterns like we probably carry around. Probably not, okay? So but they, they expected the groom to, you know, they expected him to arrive soon, right? They didn't take any extra oil. He's coming soon, so their torch would be lit long enough for, for him, to, him to return, okay? So they thought that's what they were, th- they were professing. They, these are the people who appear to be engaged. They're like professing believers. They appear to be engaged in, in spiritual uh, activities. But they lacked a key ingredient, to be really part of the family of God, they didn't have oil. And the oil would represent, in my understanding, you can read other commentaries and they'll say the oil doesn't mean anything, it just means oil. Uh, you know, Again, parables are parables. You don't press every detail of the parable. But it seems to me that the oil represents that which was lacking in order to get into the kingdom, in order to get into the wedding. And that would be genuine faith in Christ. You know, uh, the oil would represent uh, conversion, you know, what's necessary for entrance. The preparedness symbolizes conversion, which is divinely bestowed grace, as we talked about in the first service. You know, the, the grace of God that would come upon people, without which you can't get into, the, into heaven. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one can boast, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, okay? And so uh, they aren't trusting in Jesus, these foolish. They're, I don't know if you remember back when Kyle was preaching in Matthew chapter 22 about the, the wedding and people invited. Remember there was a guy there, there's a dude at the wedding, he didn't have wedding clothes on. He wasn't dressed for the wedding. And guess what happened to him? He got booted, you know. He wasn't a believer. He was there, thought he was there, but no, he's not. He's not in. And this is the same idea there. They, they, they lacked the saving grace needed to come to God. So they, they, these are people like Matthew chapter 7. They foolishly built their house upon the sand. You know, they, they were not really in the kingdom of God. They professed to be believers, but they were professed believers with the, the form of godliness, but they really weren't godly. They really weren't God's children. They denied its power. Um, in, in the, it's kind of interesting because in the previous parable, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 51, uh, the evil servant is the one who expected a long delay, right? And it didn't happen. And he was caught off guard. Now here, they're expecting the bridegroom to come quickly, but he, de- but he delayed, and they're booted. So... Both of them are out. That's why I think Jesus is telling us, giving us both sides of the coin. Don't think it's going to happen in a long time. Don't think it's going to happen immediately. Be ready. And so that's what he's trying to do. In this parable, the foolish virgins don't expect the delay. 
and they aren't prepared for one. Now, that's the foolish, and then there's the prudent, the wise. Actually, interesting to me, if you looked at the Greek word for the, the foolish, it's the word from which we get our English word moron. So they were really morons. Uh, they were moronic in their approach. But these are the prudent. These are the prudent ones, the prudent virgins. They took the oil in their lamps. They were the people who were pro possessing faith in Christ, and they lived faithfully in obedience to Christ, waiting for his return, and it didn't matter how long, because, hey, they had their oil. They were, they were ready to go. Genuine believers, okay? They, they, they had it, all right? Now, they were people who understood. Yeah, we were messed up people. And the only chance we have to get into this wedding feast is through faith in Christ. To understand that he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made righteousness, righteous in God's eyes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. They had received God's grace by faith and were trusting in Christ for their salvation. They knew, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, says, He, that is God, made, or He Himself bore, Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by His wounds we are healed. They understood that they were healed alone by the wounds of Christ. Not their good works. Not that they had done all the right things, not that they went to the synagogue, not that they had, uh, uh, had all the right dress, no, but that they were children of the living God. And the Lord knew, he knew that, that they knew who he were. Okay, so that's the, the, the activity, then we, we see that identity of these, these, these virgins. Now we see the activity. We looked first of all at that analogy, and now we see the, the, the identity of them, and now we're looking at that, what were they doing? Well, the unusually long delay is reinforced in the text by what happened. What did they do? They got tired and they fell asleep. Uh, they were drowsy and they began to sleep in verse 5. Uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't expect a wedding. I mean, after, you know, how late is the wedding going to start? I mean, right? At midnight he came, so sometime prior to midnight they're thinking, oh, whew, this is going to happen tomorrow. So they just gave up and they went to sleep. They, they were drowsy and they, they fell asleep. And so the, the, the delay of the bridegroom reminds us again that uh, the time of Christ's return is not knowable. We don't know when it's going to happen. So readiness doesn't mean, oh, you should never sleep. That's not the point here. Some people say, well, they fell asleep. They weren't ready. No, it doesn't mean we shouldn't ever sleep. Ready just means that it doesn't exclude normal activities, but it requires that we're alert, that we're thinking about it, that we're conscious of the fact, we're persevering, and we're not careless. As the, as the Lord uh, delays, as he waits, you know, and when was this written? Like 2,000 years ago, right? <laughs> it's like, could be tomorrow, might be a long time. Well, it seems like it's been a long time. So what do we think now? Well, it could be a long time. And we get complacent. Did you know that Christmas is coming? How many of you bought your Christmas gifts already? Got your decorations out? We still have ours. We're ready. <laughs> Trees up, lights on it. Good to go. We're planning ahead. No, not really. <laughs> but you know, Christmas is coming. 
But most of us are like, that's a long ways off. I'm not worried about Christmas at all. I'm not thinking about that. I mean, I got, I got, I got to get through January. But see, the longer it delays, the easier it becomes to become complacent about it, about it, you know. So in verse 6, he comes at midnight. And this midnight, again, emphasize that's the last, I mean, who thinks that the bridegroom's coming at midnight? The wedding's going to happen at midnight? No. I mean, even in, a, even in a Middle Eastern culture, that would be kind of odd. You know, I mean, I know my friends, they go to Egypt and they, 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 they're eating supper at 1030 at night. You know, and I'm kind of, whoa, no, that's bedtime. Uh, and they're eating supper. You know, but so that would be odd for them. But it, it, it shows not only the unexpectedness of it, but the pointlessness of trying to determine when it's going to happen. So that's why I said last week, when you hear people saying, oh, uh, you know, January 4, uh, 23rd, uh, 2022, that's when Jesus is coming. You're a nutcase. Forget you. Uh, Jesus doesn't know. You don't know. So go soak your head. You know, it, it, you're, you're, you're wrong. It's pointless to try to figure out when it's going to happen. And it, it, but there's a priority on living ready right now. And there's a realization that when it happens, it only means judgment for those who are outside. So this is the thing. You see, when Christ came the first time, he came offering salvation. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus comes the second time, when he comes to consummate the kingdom, there's no more chance for salvation. It's only judgment for those who are outside. It's glory for those who are prepared, but it's not for those who aren't. And the maidens that are surprised are just like those who are professing faith in Christ who are going to be shocked when Jesus actually does come back. They all got up, they trimmed their lamps, and the ones without oil said, hey, you know, help us out here. But the ones who had the extra oil said, no, we can't, because if we give you oil, then none of us will be able to light the way for the bridegroom, you know, and we're, none of us will be prepared. And so the foolish virgins without the oil uh, identify as Christians, but they don't, they don't, they aren't saved. They don't know Christ. And they go to get oil from someone else. They go to get salvation from someone else. But guess what? Salvation isn't transferable. Because your mom and dad went to church and brought you up in the church doesn't mean you're a child of God. Because you come to church and do nice things and say the right words doesn't mean you're a child of God. You can't get it by osmosis. You can't get it by transfer. There's only one place where the oil of salvation is found, and that is the person and the work of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verse 1, uh, says, says this, Yo, you, hear, you there, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's metaphoric language that's speaking about the person of Jesus Christ. Because you go into John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst, Jesus says. He who believes in me from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, Jesus says in John chapter 7. And then Jesus in John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's one way, and that's Jesus. That's it. And everyone who receives 
the grace of God through personal faith in Christ, they are the children of God. When he comes, when Christ comes unexpectedly to judge, it will be too late to repent and believe. That's the sober truth of this parable. It's going to be too late when Jesus returns. So we must be ready before he returns. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. So if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you've never personally put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not delay. That's my invitation. That's my admonition. That's my encouragement to you. And Jesus wouldn't want it either. That's why he tells the parable that they'll be ready. Instead of deceived, instead of thinking that we're doing the right religious stuff. No, not it at all. Don't be deceived by thinking that I have Christian parents. Oh, I, I, I responded to an invitation by the pastor. I raised my hand one time when he asked if anybody had prayed a prayer to trust in Jesus. Raising your hand didn't save you. Now, if you genuinely prayed a prayer of repentance and faith, yes. Don't trust in your church membership. Don't trust in your good works. Don't trust that you're part of the Creekside Church family. Don't trust the fact that you are a member of a church. Don't trust the fact that you've been baptized. Trust in the fact that you're trusting in Jesus and that alone. That's the, key. That's the deal. Nothing but faith alone in Christ alone. And if you're not trusting in Christ, then my admonition to you is to repent and believe. And if you're here this morning and you are trusting in Christ, then you're not one of the foolish bridesmaids. So first of all, we're given this, this comparison. And then uh, secondly, we're given the connection between the, the, the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, and the kingdom. What is the connection between them and the kingdom of God? See, all of them were invited to the wedding. All of them took their lamps. All of them went to sleep. All of them wanted to go into the wedding feast. But not all of them were ready. Not all of them were ready. What's the connection for the prudent? Look at, look at uh, chapter 25 and verse 10. And Jesus says in 25 verse 10, he says, And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Now, this is a picture of the consummation of the age when Jesus will return, and all who are alive at the time will go into this wedding feast. Those who have gone before, who have died, or those who have been raptured, or whatever, who are in the, in, already with the Lord, they're going into this wedding feast too. But think about it. They're, they're, they enter the banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and are rewarded in paradise. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, talks about this wedding feast. Let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has prepared herself. Filet mignon, lasagna, Chateaubriand, whatever you want to feast on, I don't know that that's all going to be there, but hey, it's going to be good. It's going to be wonderful music and, 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 and fellowship and fun and, and tasty beverages. And it'll be in the presence of the glorious King of Kings and, dare I say it, maybe even dancing. 
David danced before Jesus and before the Lord. Now, I'm not advocating it. I'm not saying it's a a sanctified activity. I'm just saying that, you know, there's going to be celebration there. And those who are God's children are going to be there celebrating. And it's going to be glorious. In the presence of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the presence of the King of Kings, who is all-powerful and gracious and loving and forgiving. And it will be wonderful. That's for those who are His children. And the question I have is, are you ready for glory? Because you're trusting in Jesus. You're ready to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the connection with the prudent. What's the connection with the foolish? Well, the foolish two details communicate the tragic an eternal end for them. First, the foolish are excluded. Look at verse 10. It says at the end, and those who were ready went into him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And when the door is shut, that means everybody who's supposed to be there is there. And those who aren't there can't get in. The door has been shut. They're excluded from the party. No more will be admitted. Symbolizing that the opportunity for salvation is gone when the door is shut. When the door is shut, no more. Think about it this way. We had the chance to go to, uh, I'm not sure where it is in Kentucky, but the, the ark, you know, the ark presentation. And you see the ark, and guess what? There's really no door. I mean, actually, you walk in by, but when the, when the ark, there's no door. It's shut. You know? And when the door of the ark in Genesis chapter 6 was, was shut, guess what? Nobody else gets in. When the door is shut to the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, no more, get, no more getting in. It's over. A permanent barrier that separates the prudent from the foolish. It's a permanent barrier that cannot be bridged. And secondly, not only are the foolish excluded, it's worse than that. The foolish are rejected. Now, it's really kind of amazing if you look at the parable because it's midnight and they're sent out by the the prudent ones, the foolish ones are, to go get more oil. And you're thinking, not happening. I mean, we live in, in, you know, big time city, right? You know, it's like, uh, how many stores are open at midnight? Not that many. Well, in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, there were probably even fewer stores. I don't think they had 24-hour markets there, you know. And so they're going to get oil. But somehow they got it, and they got back to the wedding feast. Let us in, let us in. And you read in the text... In verse 11, and later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. Keep reading. But he answered to them, I don't know you. We've heard this Lord, Lord stuff before in Matthew chapter 7. Like those who were condemned in Matthew chapter 7, 7. Read it. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. These are people who've done Jesus type stuff. You see, it's possible to do godly appearing things as a servant of the enemy. That should be a sobering thought for all of us. And Jesus, just like them, in their self-delusion, in their presumption that they will get in because of their religiosity, they're mistaken. And it can happen today. There are the, the church is filled with, with people who are religious but not righteous. People who are conscientious but not converted. People who are good but not godly. People who are spiritual but not saved. And he says, I don't know you. Don't let that happen to you. At our son's wedding, the reception was adjacent to a hotel, the reception hall. And there were a few people, yes, who tried to crash the party. They thought they could just get in and have a free meal and you know, join the celebration. But we had bouncers. I mean, no, hosts and hostesses. Uh, at, at the door, you know. And checking people's names. And the people who tried to get in, they were not known by the bridegroom. No connection. No connection, no entrance. The same. The same way Jesus says, if I don't know you, you can't get in. And this is permanent. The pretenders will be exposed for the imposters whom they are. Nothing will be more terrifying than for unbelievers to hear these words from the mouth of our Lord, I do not know you. I do not know you. What a tragic thing. To be religious, conscientious, spiritual, good, but not righteous, not saved, not converted, not godly. Christ is the only basis. I've asked people, and I'll ask other people, you know, if, if you were to stand before God and you say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? You know what the really the only true answer is? You should say, you shouldn't. Or if you're going to say anything, you say, the only basis upon which you let me in is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because I'm trusting in his death and that alone is the payment for my sin. And I stand condemned before you apart from his blood. But in the grace of God, when Christ died, if we put our trust in him, the Father in heaven sees us through the blood of Christ as his children justified by grace. 
Many appear to be followers because they engage in good works. Because they express their allegiance to Jesus. Because they exercise certain service in the name of Jesus. But they aren't really part of the family of God. The foundation upon which we build matters. We're back to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 through 27 Uh, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the storm. And guess what? The house stood. Why? Because they had built it on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the slammed against the house and it fell and the collapse was very great it matters where we invest our effort and where we where we put our place this is not unique to me in in sharing this poem by alfred lord tennyson but he wrote a poem in a series of poems the ides of the king in this particular poem called late late so late he actually picked up the the pictures that Jesus had painted here and applied them to the situation in which he was so that the, 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 the queen would see how, she, how desperately she had uh, violated and sinned against the king. And here's what it says. Late, late, so late, and dark the night and chill. Late, late, so late. But we can enter still. He illumines the hypocrisy of presumption and and the falsity of presumption and also this idea that we can just somehow at, at, at the last hour turn from our sin and he goes on and he says late late so late but we can enter still too late too late you cannot enter now no light had we for that we do repent and learning this the bridegroom will relent too late too late you cannot enter now. No light, so late and dark and chill the night. Oh, let us in that we may find the light. Too late, too late, and you cannot enter now. Have we not heard the bridegroom is so sweet? Oh, let us in, though late, to kiss his feet. No, no, too late. You cannot enter now. There comes a point at which no amount of repentance will be received and heard and acted on by the Lord. It's over. When he returns, Jesus made it abundantly clear that our eternal destiny depends upon knowing him personally. I like the way O'Donnell put it in his commentary. You're on your own before the judgment throne. It's not my mom, not my dad, not my cousin, not my sister, not my brother. It's us and Jesus. I sat in my second semester of uh, chemistry at University of Northern Iowa, and uh, our professor said that you had an hour and a half or whatever for our exam, and at that point, I will walk out the door, and if this exam is not in my hand, you'll get an F. Well, I'm kind of a compulsive person and I was checking my answers and making sure and there was some that I wasn't sure about I was going back over and through it and he started for the door and I ran down there grabbed my exam ran down there and just as he was halfway in and halfway out I handed him his my exam and he looked at me and he goes 
you cut it pretty close. Had I been too late and the door had been shut, I'd have been out and F. Those who possess faith in Christ need to live ready with faithful perseverance and will be rewarded. Those who merely profess faith in Christ, my call is to repent and believe. And this leads us to the final tactic that Jesus uses to awaken us, which is we're given a command to be on the alert. In verse 13, he says, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. The church, visible, some professing only, but some truly possessing faith in Christ, are called to live ready in anticipation of the party. Okay? In anticipation of the party. Because we don't know the day or the hour when when that's going to happen. Jesus doesn't teach us salvation by works, but he teaches us that salvation works. I'm going to say that again. He doesn't teach us salvation by works, but he teaches us that salvation works. It gives, it grows, it loves, it serves. And that's how we're ready, is by loving and giving and serving and forgiving, because that's the manifestation that our faith is actually true. And we obey with eagerness and alertness in the light of Jesus' certain, sudden, and unexpected return. If you work in the healthcare field, you're constantly on the alert because there's all these supervisory boards and things that come in to inspect the health field. If you work in a hospital, if you work in a pharmacy, if you work in a nursing home, there you're always waiting for the state or the joint commission or somebody to send in their inspectors to see if you're doing So you're constantly on the alert. And Jesus says we should be on the, on the alert. Bruner paraphrases Jesus. He says, have your Christian life so in order that when you are surprised by my return, you'll be ready. Have your Christian life so in order that when you're surprised by my return, you are ready. The timing of Jesus' return is unknowable. So here's, here's what I want to challenge you with. If you're here this morning listening online or here present, and you really don't really care about the Lord, you're just here by somehow by compulsion, maybe you're made to come or whatever, you're a hardened unbeliever, you're actively fighting God, living in rebellion, or you're passively indifferent. Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine on my own. God says to you, I, say, I think the scripture would say to you, repent and believe. To be ready for Jesus' return. And those who are professing believers, test yourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says to, to test yourselves. See if you are in the faith, examine yourselves, or do you recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. Test ourselves. How do we test ourselves? To see if we're in the faith. Well, test ourselves against the Word of God. In, uh, you know, do you have the Son? First John chapter 5, and this is the witness that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, and he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. Do you have the Son? Are you trusting in the Son? If you're trusting in the Son, then you're one of His children. That's the test from the Word of God. Test the fruit of your life. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, By this we know we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says he's come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
But he goes on and says, by, but by this we know that we are in him if we keep his word. And the one who says that he, he abides in him must also walk as he walked. So that's a question. Are we growing? Not perfect. Numbers are perfect. But are we growing in imitating Jesus? These are the tests. Uh, you have smoke detectors in your house? You have to change the batteries, right? Went down to my folks. We, we drove down there. walked in the house. And like five smoke detectors are going beep, 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 beep. Drive you nuts, right? Uh, well, the batteries need to change. We change the batteries in our smoke detectors to be alert. But we continually change the batteries. So we're always ready. Now and in the future, we're ready. And in the same way, God calls his people to be ready. And as we take time to, 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 to break bread and to, well, actually, we don't really break it. We take that little wafer thing. But we, uh, we get the, the wafer and we do the juice. We commemorate what Jesus did to make it possible for us to enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Grace, grace, God's grace. It's all God's grace that we enter in, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's made possible for those who believe in Jesus. Remember the bread and the cup. And it's reserved for those who are the children of God. So if you are not a child of God, don't take it. But if you are a child of God, then take a moment, confess your sin, and enjoy it as a foretaste. Kind of a a little bit of a, a hint at the feast that's coming. Let's pray. Father, help us to live ready. Not just to help us, those who don't know Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would get ready. I pray that they would put their faith or their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray that you'd help everyone here listening or online, Father, to examine ourselves. That we're truly trusting in Jesus and not just going through religious motions so that we're ready. Help those of us who know you to live in faithful, perseverant obedience to you. Show us where we're failing and lead us for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.